All right, guys, before we get started this week, I want to tell you all about some exciting news. Uh, we have relaunched our website with some of the best writers in Fort Worth to now provide not only the podcast content that we've been providing, obviously, uh, but we also have some great blog content now. So head over to fwfoodstories.com to check out this month's posts from Crystal Vastine, a.k.a. Fort Worth Foodie, Josie Via Singleton, a.k.a. Eat This Fort Worth, Catherine Sasser from Hurley House, and Chef John Bennell. That's again fwfoodstories.com to go see posts from all of them for this month. They'll be doing one post each a month, um, so a lot of great content coming out. Basically, every single week you'll have a, a great new post to check out. Um, I will put the link in the description for the show, but definitely head over there and um, check out some of our, our writing work now. And we'll also obviously uh, be keeping up with the podcast. We're also now on Instagram, so go give us a follow at Fort Worth Food Stories. It's at Fort Worth Food Stories. You'll find us. Give us a follow. We'll be updating you with all of our new uh, posts, um, all of our new podcasts, and then uh, some other stuff as well um, uh, somewhere down the line. So go check all that out. I really appreciate it. Um, we've been creating a lot of great content, I think, so far, um, and it's only going to get better from here. In that kitchen, I saw a lot of caffeine consumption, you know, nicotine breaks, you know, and I don't smoke cigarettes at all, I, I, but I wanted to take those breaks too. You know, if, if I were to tell you that I look forward to, at the end of the weekend, using illegal drugs, you'd call me a drug addict. But if I told you I was looking forward to having a beer with the line cooks afterwards, you'd be acceptable, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's great, let's all go do that. They can't just have the exact same experience that they had. You need to elevate yourself. And I think the pressure of that can be horribly crippling. You are listening to Fort Worth Food Stories, brought to you by the Culinary School of Fort Worth. All right, welcome to Fort Worth Food Stories. I'm your host, James Cringe. I am joined today by chefs Maddie Sharp and Edward Gutierrez for the last week of our summer series here. Um, if you haven't listened to the other episodes, go back and listen to them. They've all been pretty good. Uh, this was the sixth out of six. Uh, they've all been great. Excuse all me, Maddie. <laughs> they've to all four been stars. three and a half to four. This one will be five. Uh, but today we are hitting some pretty deep topics. Um, so we're going to be looking at mental health and addiction issues in the kitchen. So Edward, I'll let you kind of take it away from here. But let's start with that mental health. All right. Yeah, mental health in the kitchen. Um, something that you know we've uh, recently started sharing the light on in the kitchen. Um, after, especially after Anthony Bourdain, you know, committed suicide, then people were really started to bring around the kitchen. But it's something that's been around for a very long time in the kitchen. Um, and I think that mental health, you know, it starts off with the um, the high stress, the long work hours, and those those start to lead to other things like lack of exercise, um, not eating healthy food, and lack of sleep. You know, not eating healthy foods. I think is one of the biggest ones. Is you when you're working the line, you have access to all the fatty stuff, the high end things you know and you're, you're going to want to eat those over eating vegetables and then you have the free coffee the free espressos and the free sweet teas across from you also so you're increasing your, your sugar intake then when you go home you're so tired from this high stress that you don't want to work out so you know your body starts to become you know bigger and bigger you start, you start taking on more fat and probably getting closer to being diabetic from all the sweet tea like, I don't know about you, how, much, how many countless cooks have you seen chugging gallons of sweet tea during the shift, right? Uh, Instead of or water. Red Bull. <laughs> or Red Bulls, right, and yeah. coffees. Um, 
I can't even count that high. But I don't, <laughs> yeah. That's not really an impressive thing. I can't really count. Yeah. <laughs> 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 nice. Math is not my strong suit. Uh, so are you basically saying then, you know, your physical health and, and the toll that it takes on your physical health does end up affecting the mental health? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, after you get used to that bad diet, you start waking up more tired. And you, you want to get, you need that energy back. And so you start drinking more caffeine. And then at a certain point, caffeine quits working, you know, and then you're just waking up tired, chugging down caffeine and more sugar, but nothing's actually happening to you. Then the Red Bull comes in, right? So then you're drinking caffeine and Red Bulls to try to get some more energy. And then those even have a worn out effect. Yeah, right. I don't care if it's sugar free or not. You're not doing yourself any favor. Your heart will not thank you. Right. So I mean, we're already introduced to two drugs right there. That's the sugar and the caffeine. And so you're introducing drug abuse early on before the illegal drugs come in. Yeah, so I, I don't think, I mean, people wouldn't necessarily usually typically think, I think, that sugar and caffeine being drugs. Um, so I think that's interesting. Maybe go a little bit further on that point. Um, and, and maybe, Maddie, then you can jump in with some of the reasons why people get so stressed out in the kitchen. Well, uh, yeah, a lot of people don't consider caffeine a drug, but it is a controlled substance, um, according um, to our government. And sugar has had recent studies that it's more addicting than cocaine is. So you're combining this caffeine and the sugar together. Um, it's starting the, the beginning of drug abuse in the kitchen, especially when you normalize it. People have withdrawals coming from sugar, diabetics, things like that. That is a, um, it's also a mental addiction too, because when you eat these things that have sugar and fat in it, it releases endorphins, which we kind of spoke about. And so people comfort eat and stress eat um, these things that are horrible for your body because in the moment you're getting pleasure. So, and, and why are they, like I just kind of alluded to before, but why are they searching for that pleasure? You know, what, what is it about the kitchen that's, you know, drives all this stress? Well, I mean, this could be from the kitchen. This could be just in general. There's a lot of people that are addicted to caffeine and or sugar. Like that is a nationwide, worldwide crisis, especially in the United States. We kind of glorify unhealthy food a little bit more than you know maybe Asian cultures do where they look at, I remember there was an exchange student that went to my high school and she wanted to learn how to make cupcakes and once she figured out all the stuff that went in it she wouldn't eat that she's like do you know how much oil went in that and I was like oh well yeah I do and she's like no thanks and she gave away to other kids they're like oh cupcakes you know um, but yeah the mental part of it is we as line cooks are always we're kind of a little sick as it as to begin with like we crave going to work every night and the rush and the adrenaline of kicking ass you know of getting your ass kicked and showing up the next day like we are a little sick to start with that you crave that i quit a really good job to go back on a line to have fun, you know, and really get back in there and prove to myself that I was worthy of being a line cook again. And I took a pay, a cut in pay. I had more horrible hours. I don't know what I was thinking, honestly. <laughs> but in that kitchen, I saw a lot of caffeine consumption, you know, nicotine breaks, you know, and I don't smoke cigarettes at all. I, I but I wanted to take those breaks too. I should get an air break. You know, I should be able to walk outside for a minute, you know, and, and decompress. But that's kind of where a lot of uh, people are like, oh, well, I'm going to go outside for a quote unquote cigarette, cigarette break, too. And 
And then that's when you kind of start smoking. And that's when you kind of lead to that. Whether you were not a smoker at all, it's very, very rare uh, to walk into a kitchen that does not smoke cigarettes at all. That, right. that no one smokes cigarettes, you know. And, and then at that point, if you are the person that smokes and no one else does, people are like, oh, you know, take another break? Yep. Really? Yeah. You know, there's a lot of like, well, what are you doing that for? You know, so I think that's a that's part of the mental part of it. Do, do you think there's a big pressure too in terms of just succeeding in the kitchen? Um, you know, like there's well, it seems like there's a lot of pressure put on by the executive chef or the sous chef or whoever um, to make sure that the plates are coming out perfect and all that kind of stuff. Do you think that really weighs on it, or is it more just the hours and stuff? I think that weighs on it a lot. That um because you know, as a cook, you get excited whenever a ticket comes in. You execute it perfectly, and the chef accepts it and sells it. That's a, a, on itself is a whole nother high, and that, that releases you know the endorphins in your brain, um, the dopamine, just like Facebook does when we get a notification. You get that quick surge of that that hit. So is completing a ticket. So the more tickets you complete, and the shorter amount of time you do it, the harder and more addicting that feel the feeling is. Like like you said, I, I love that feeling working the line, having a smooth service going so perfectly. Or if things go crazy and you're able to pull through with your teammates, like right. that always feels That's really good. That's even better, yeah. yeah. When things go sideways and it comes back together <laughs> because like, oh, don't worry, I, I prepped enough because I saw this coming, you know, then that, that feels so amazing. It's like a drug on its own. It's something yeah. you can only get from working service, you know, you can't buy that. It's a, it's a huge satisfaction. And then I think from there you get the satisfaction. It's like, hey, man, you did great tonight. Beers on me, right? You know. Yeah, and then that's where that, that, that uh, caffeine and uh, sorry nicotine comes in. You know, at the end of the shift, everyone goes outside to smoke a cigarette. So you were inside this hot kitchen, getting all these endorphins uh, going, and then you go outside, and then the cool breeze kicks in. Everyone's lighting up a cigarette. It becomes um, a ritual, almost a habitual, to the point where. Um, every night you're looking forward to actually going outside and smoking that cigarette and talking about, oh man, I messed up 52, thanks for covering me on that one, and blah, blah, blah. I cut my, I burnt myself here, and that's why I dropped that. Yeah, everyone kind of like does a replay of how the, yeah. how the day went. It's a camaraderie, Then sure. while they're drinking their Red Bulls and t- sweet teas, so you have two controlled substances now, nicotine and caffeine, that are being allowed to flow through the job force. Well, what about um, alcohol, too, afterwards? I'm sure that's a, a conversation flower right, oh, for man. people, is, is they have some yeah. drinks afterwards. And, Para like cantina! Said, Let's yeah. get out of here! Let's go! <laughs> and then I think the only reason why the bar is an acceptable one is because the time that you can normally get out inside the restaurant. Yeah. You know, service may stop around 10 or 11, but you're going to spend an hour, two hours cleaning. Uh, hopefully someone didn't open the deep fryer, right? And the fryer oil goes everywhere. <laughs> So you're looking. Don't, flow, you're don't look, throw flour on it. Yeah. That happens. <laughs> that was. A, you're looking at getting out around twelve or one o'clock every single night, and whenever you get out that time, most of your other friends are already parting it up heavily, or they're at home sleeping. So you kind of get removed from the social life at this point, because you, you can either go home and go to sleep and wake up early and do it again. But that kind of gets like mundane and mm-hmm. almost against your mental health. Also, like you need to get out. So very quickly, the whole line is saying, "Hey, let's go to the bar next door real quick. Everybody, let's grab a shot or two. Then the alcohol starts getting thrown in. So now you have three controlled substance, you know, being thrown in to the whole equation of being a line cook. And, you know, and it starts off super innocent. It's like, you rocked it tonight. Let me buy you a shot. You did great. Or just the opposite. It's like, you had a struggle. It was hard today. Let me buy you a beer. You know, come on, bud. Like, come on, man. Come on, bud. Like, let's go. Um, and then... It always kind of starts off super innocent, but then if you are used to celebrating every night, your body actually craves that. So yeah. you're done, the kitchen's clean, 
I feel like a beer. I feel like going out. You know, I'd love to have a shot of A, B, and C. Um, or, you know, so that your body starts to expect that. And, um, yeah, if you've ate nothing but, you know, fat and butter, whatever you can find on the line, um, so your, your, your heart is already, like, starting to... That's why there's so much physical... Um, what is the word? Sickness. Physical sickness. And then, you know, you stayed out late, you're going to sleep in late, and you have to be to work at 3. So some sometimes cook, the cooks I worked with wouldn't wake up until 1 or 2 just to roll in, like, right when they had to. Mm-hmm. So you're not... Your body's all thrown off because, you know, we are not nocturnal creatures. We are let's wake up in the morning and go to bed at night like your body tells you that you have to force yourself to go onto an adjusted schedule so yeah we started creating those rituals around these controlled substances that's where drug abuse and drug addiction kicks in you know if if i were to tell you that i look forward to at the end of the weekend using illegal drugs you'd call me a drug addict but if I told you I was looking forward to having a beer with the line cooks afterwards, it would be acceptable, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's great. Let's all go do that. You know, so I don't think we really, we, we've made a big gap in illegal drugs and legal drugs. And I think that's what actually closes the gap for most people to start going into those illegal drugs. Because once you've gotten high off caffeine and nicotine so many times, then what? You know, yeah. there's only a certain amount of time where you want more and you're going to crave more. Let, I do want to stick on alcohol just for one second uh, before we jump into the drugs. Um, I think this kind of ties in, but, um, you know, I, I think the self-medication is, is the big problem. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I, I have a friend that uh, went to rehab um, because he just had a drinking problem. And, you know, he couldn't – he had so much anxiety during the day that he couldn't go to sleep at night if he, he wasn't drinking himself to sleep, basically. Um, and, and it just becomes that vicious cycle. So I was wondering, like, in the midst of service, when does – does drinking ever seep into service? Because we'll, we'll talk about the drugs, but it does it become, okay, first you're celebrating after work, and then it's, okay, I've only got an hour left in my shift. Like, let's take a shot. Or now, it, you know, we're halfway through the shift. Let's take a shot. Does that happen, or, or is it more controlled in the kitchen? It depends on where you work. I've seen where it's absolutely non-tolerated before, and I've been to places where uh, bartenders and cooks have traded you know, um, as a joke, I was like, yeah, I'll take a Red Bull. Feel free to add some vodka to that. And then the bartender did. And the cook next to me was like, you better not waste that. I'm like, "Mm, okay, (laughs) here we go. (laughs) It's happening. And it's kind of like, see how drunk she can get Mm -hmm. to actually handle service or not. You know, um, that was back in in the day. (laughs) Uh, that only happened once and I never tried to trade again. You know, I was like, I'll make you a quesadilla for a Red Bull. And he's like, okay. It's like, feel free to add some vodka to it. And he made it so strong. And I was like, I can't, I can't drink this. They're like, you better not waste it. And I'm like, you're right. I better not. And they're like, you better hurry up before a chef gets here. I'm like, okay, it's happening. It's happening. <laughs> you know? um, so I, that's, I that's obviously that. funny, right? But there's also a peer pressure element. To oh, it's totally peer pressure. Cause yeah. I don't really do hard alcohol, especially anymore. And, uh, I want I take my job very seriously and I, I pride myself on being competent throughout work and and I I don't even remember that service that night not because it was bad or good or yeah. I was drunk I just that wasn't one of the ones that really stands out to me that I was superb at yeah <laughs> you know uh, yeah and it's just a little joke 
that started, but it's kind of like, I could do that. That's pretty easy. Mm -hmm. I'm hungry, and I don't want to pay for my food, and here we go. And now the house loses two ways. They mm -hmm. lose food costs, and they lose alcohol, and, uh, you know, we, we're bringing up Red Bull a lot. I absolutely love Red Bull, but... Uh, <laughs> If Red Bull's out there, I'm sorry. It's a Get good a product. Sponsorship. Yeah, they're probably like, no. <laughs> um, Way too crazy. What, what have you seen, Edward, in that, in that instance? Alcohol has penetrated more kitchens than any other drug I've ever seen. Um, I think it's done more damage than any other drug that I've ever seen out there also. Uh, I've, I've worked, like you said, I've worked in kitchens where it's a zero tolerance. If you even kind of look under the influence... They're going to go ahead and sack you right there because you didn't sleep enough. That's enough for them. I've worked in places where it was completely acceptable, and hopefully I, I plan on writing a book. Maybe you're going to write it for me, right, about restaurants that were zero tolerance that went to a burn pit just from letting alcohol come in. Yeah. But, you know, that, that mental health we're talking about, the high stress, the lack of exercise, the lack of social life, and we're encouraging this alcoholic kind of behavior through the kitchen because we do celebrate with that. It's almost an instant thing that happens back there. People start drinking during the day. Um, for like someone's wife may leave them and they're gonna like, oh, you know, I'm so used to training myself for the self-medicating myself at the end of the shift that maybe if I do that now, it'll help me get through service. And then it starts. And then yeah. it becomes a, a ritual really quickly of I'm gonna do a one glass of wine before service or one shot before service and then... Just take the edge off. Right, just take ready. the edge off. And someone else, oh yeah, do you mind if I join you? Oh yeah, it's okay, sure. The next thing you know, two people are doing it. Three people are doing it. The whole staff's doing it. Everybody Flasking is Flasking in drunk. the back. Yep. Like you said, it hurts both sides. Totally. Because uh, that's the most common thing I've seen is trading amongst yeah. front of the house and back of the house, trying to keep it hidden from the manager. And so this, that's what drugs do. You know, like if you were to replace alcohol with crack, it sounds like a crackhead, right? Oh, man, what do you got? Let me, let me trade you this for that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah let's, let's, work these, let's work these deals out. <laughs> but since it's alcohol, we, 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 we unvilify it, you know, whenever it's that. Yeah. And, and what about when it does turn into crack? Oh, right. Or, or drugs and in it, general. And know? it's usually pretty quick, too, because but we're talking earlier about what happens when the caffeine run, runs out. What happens when the alcohol runs out? What happens when, you know, you still don't have a social life and you're broke now because you're spending all your money on alcohol and stuff like that? Then what happens? How do you keep going? And then there's usually that one person who comes in with some Coke or crack or meth or heroin. Um, even weed, I mean, you know. Even weed, Adderall, Oxycontin, there's all kinds of drugs you can mention out there that come into the kitchen because so many different people, so many different ways of life are together. And it's it's almost a little too easy for it to spread after the alcoholism has spread. And then once one person starts doing those drugs, you, if it's the executive chef or the sous chef, oh, the whole place is going under really quickly. Because the line cooks start doing it, the dishwashers start doing it, the servers start doing it. And as the person in charge, you can't say anything because you're in the same boat. You can't nip it in the bud because they have something yeah. on you. You know, mm -hmm. uh, that's that's a really fine line to walk. And it normally starts off really light, you know, as like a silly joke. It's talking about, oh, just a little crack cocaine. It's kind of get me going for the start of the day or whatever. It's like, I know where to get some. You know, yeah. and then that's kind of where it starts, and you're just like, oh my, like, oh, I, I was joking, I was yeah. joking, and then they're like, oh yeah, me too. And then they kind of give you that look like, where was yeah. I? You know, so. And two months later, you're looking for a new job behind on your car payments. Yeah. You know? yeah. It's a real slippery slope, real fast. Super slippery slope. And, and another thing is... Uh, Nope, never mind. <laughs> we'll cut that. This is this is where um, the the whole suicidal part starts to come into play, because once once you've gotten the alcohol addiction, it's socially acceptable, so it's usually not as bad. But once the hard drugs start to come into play, 
um, this is where it's hard to turn back around now. It's really hard to turn your life around. Because like you said, if, if you are the executive chef of this establishment and you started doing coke with a server and a few line cooks, your reputation there is gone now. You know, do you want to leave and go do it again? And so it's, it's, it's where I kind of see these Michelin star chefs who were given it back and some of them who committed suicide is because there's so much pressure there. What do you do after that? You know, how do also you go Also pressure to be better than you were last year. And keep once you get a Michelin star or you know, two, three, whatever, to keep it is harder than getting it, you know, um, because the standard and the bar is set so high, what are you going to do better to keep mm-hmm. that star? Like, you have to impress the same people or the same, you know, they can't just have the exact same experience that they had. You need to elevate yourself. And I think the pressure of that can be horribly crippling. It can be, yeah, absolutely. And in America, we don't have, we have some Michelin stars, but it's something even worse for the chef here is the Yelp. You know, if, yeah. if someone comes in and keeps giving them one star, one star, one star, one star, you're pretty much looking at yourself like, it's time to look for a new job, right? It's time to do something else. They're going to get rid of me. They're going to find another chef. There's always a, there's always a young kid, 21-year-old, who wants to be the executive chef without the credentials that's willing to take your job. So what do you do to keep, keep on top? Yeah, and, and I can't remember. Um, it was either with uh, Marcus Pazley or John Bunnell on this podcast. I just can't remember who was saying it, but uh, they got a review from someone in Dallas that is notorious for giving one-star reviews, and they did this whole write-up about how terrible the food was, and, and they said it really crushed them to read that review, um, but he reached out and, and met with the person. They said, oh, that's just my shtick. Like, don't worry about it, which is stupid and messed up, and that's a whole other conversation, but... Um, you know, I, I think there's probably more often than not the chef wouldn't reach out um, to the person that gave them that hard review. And you always f- take the negative feedback more than you take the positive feedback. I, I know that with my own work. Mm-hmm. Um, you always you, you fixate on the small negative even though there's, there's all the positive. Um, so it's basically just a really roundabout way of getting to the question of, um, you know, do, as the chef, as the head chef, and, and you kind of alluded to this, if you're the one that's doing the drugs or you're the one that's drinking, you know, how do you stop it in your own restaurant? Um, and, and how does maybe the owner, and this goes back to what we talked about last week with the, the owner ethics, but how does the owner stop it from ever occurring in the first place? Is it even possible? If the owner sees that the head chef is doing it, it's time for a staff turnover. Yeah, like entire staff. I Honestly, I don't know any other option. Um, and you've seen, I've seen that before where you got to 86 everyone and ground, ground up, you know, unless, I don't know, some, sometimes you keep your really strong line cooks, but you just zero tolerance. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it, how long that sticks around is one thing, but the person in charge needs to be in charge and clear minded the whole, whole time, you know, it's, and it's a really slippery slope because you become friends with the people you spend 12 13 hours a day with you become close with these people um so it's really hard not to befriend them and and bring your outside life into your work life just because you are at work more than you are with your outside life yeah yeah it it does seem like too that there is a fear you know in this kind of job and, and other kind of jobs that if they started drug testing they'd lose their entire company um but do you think you know if a restaurant started drug testing would that make a difference or um, no, so I, I think it's um, all in the owner. It's like last time we we're yeah. talking about. I think the owner has full responsibility that if his staff all becomes um, cokeheads over the weekend, that you as the owner did something wrong. Yeah, I don't think you are investing enough into your employees. You know, if you're offering your employees um, co- uh, college degrees and 
helping their kids pay for this and that, they're way less likely to, to throw to their job. That job right? yeah. But let's say you are a business owner and your whole staff is started doing alcohol and drugs for whatever reason. I've seen one successful turnaround. The owner sat down with everybody and said, like, I'm going to fire all of you next week. You're all going to lose your job unless you start coming in sober. And he started working with the people who wanted help. You know, they, they said, yeah, yeah, I, I have an addiction. I'm sorry. It just came out of nowhere. You know, everyone else started doing it. So the owner started working with them. He gave them extra pay to get them out of the debt from the drugs they were in, get them back out of their, their rent debt, got them back on their feet. But the ones who didn't ask for help, he kind of let them just, he literally let them go. Yeah. Um, so within the next week, they were the ones who were fired and he brought in the new staff and then let the new staff know, like, hey, look, I just had a huge drug addiction problem in my kitchen. Um, if you're part of it, I'm going to fire you too. So please help me, you know, keep everyone sober and safe. And then everyone did. It was amazing. That's super cool. I've never heard of a turnaround like that. But it was all on the owner, though. It had nothing to do with the executive chef or the front of the house manager or the general manager. The owner came in and sat down and said, look, enough. I get what drugs do to people. Not Nothing your fault, but stop now. You know, and something else I kind of want to talk about, too, is um, the mental health part, is people are afraid to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Like those cooks who did let, get let go only got let go because they were just too afraid, you know. It seems like in the kitchen you gotta be man enough, you know. Even to women, I've heard I've heard cooks tell women, you know, oh, this is so, so stupid. You let your balls drop, you know. Always giving like, these masculine things, so it's un uh, not you're not being a man by asking for help. And I think that needs a change in the kitchen too. It's okay to ask for help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's a that is true of anywhere. Anybody listening, you know, kitchen or not, it's it's okay to ask for help. That's a great point. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to just piece together, like, I just don't see it as a totally realistic thing to, to get drugs fully out of the kitchen. And it, yeah. and I think, you know, it's going to come down to partially on you guys as you're teaching a new, you know, crop of students coming through that, that are going to go into the kitchen and work and kind of showing them the right way. Um, Edward, you sent me an article earlier in the week about um, uh, a chef that lets his staff do drugs twice a year mm-hmm. uh, talk, talk about that a little bit I, I don't agree with the philosophy just for the record um, but I thought it was at least interesting that it was being talked about more openly yeah definitely because um, we you know it's it, there's there's kitchens out there that allow all of their staff to do drugs yeah. openly inside their kitchen I've, I've seen kitchens you know that allow it sometimes on the weekends you know that article that I shared with you is twice a year um, their their point of view is kind of it's a it's a, re, re, a relief break so instead of having it throughout the throughout the year right like once or twice yeah. on the weekend they allow it once or twice a year so they kind of control when and how their staff is using the, they're using their drugs they're a little more control but I agree with you though I, I'm not about that I mean it's kind of crazy because <laughs> there's no other job where they say, you could just go do drugs twice a year. You can't just have a purge like just that. Just because, yeah. <laughs> That's not a thing. Yeah, it's crazy. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, that is, that's um, insane. And, and Maddie, you were talking about before, kind of off air a little bit, um, how pay scale can affect people and, and how they not only maybe are doing drugs, but they might have to start selling drugs as well. Um, how does that come into play? That could, I mean, sometimes that's someone's second job, you know, um, so you got to make bills and, and ends meet, especially if you got two or three kids and you're a line cook and you're making eight dollars an hour. That doesn't feed a lot. That doesn't that doesn't make a car payment. Um, so people look for totally different ways to supplement income, and unfortunately, that's one of the easier things to get a hold of and get wrapped up in because drug dealers are nice. 
until you owe money. But I mean, everyone wants to get a piece and everyone wants to share that and, and make more money for yourself and then pass it along and have more little working horses, you know? Yeah, it's a common introduction um, to the drugs into, this, into the kitchen is a underpaid dishwasher. Uh, why do you think that dishwasher is going to be working for four or fifteen an hour plus tips or whatever kind of scam you're, you're trying to get this dishwasher in? That's because he knows servers make cash on the daily and that he's going to be able to sell to that server really quickly. And then what happens once the servers start getting on? We talked about that, right? The whole cycle yeah. starts happening. It's a snowball. A snowball starts to normalize it, right? Half the servers are doing it, one cook's doing it, and then it starts to grow exponentially. Next thing you know, your dishwasher's making more money than your executive chef is. Yeah. Really quickly. You know? And I think now, I think uh, everyone, well, I think restaurateurs are starting to understand the importance of a dishwasher. So I've seen a lot of ads lately that dishwashers are getting hired at $13, $14, $15 an hour because that is the job where you cannot afford for them to have a revolving door. The heart of the kitchen is a dish pit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. that is, And it's totally the backbone because without dishes and utensils, everything falls off. The wheels fall off. Yeah, you know, you know. I, and I think all this, like, this uh, all this falls on the owner, hundred percent. Like Ramsey has this little um, episode. Where he talks about drug abuse in his kitchen, some of his higher end places. He went in on Sunday with a coke swab thing to detect for coke, and he found traces of coke in the employees' restroom and the customers' restroom on a Sunday. And he he kind of went off on the managers, and I, I think you know if if you were an owner who invested your employee, helping them with their education, gave them health insurance and a decent pay. I think you'd have a lot harder time finding drugs in that kitchen than you do in a kitchen that has low pay, low um, low employees, so everyone's pulling doubles every single day. You'd have a harder find, yeah, hard time finding drugs there. You're not going to look for that extra boost like we talked about. Right, because you don't need the caffeine abuse because you're getting enough sleep at home. You know, you have enough free time to go on vacation. You have enough time to work out. You have a healthy lifestyle. Hopefully, like the owner is a mentor also in helping you with this lifestyle to understand that you can live this way, and that would fix it. I think that sounds like a very idealistic fix in terms of, you know, you want to have an owner that's going to be care about all their employees. You want to have an owner that's going to make enough money that they can pay, you know, higher salary and all that stuff. I don't know that that's always true in the real world. I don't know that you're always going to find an owner like that. What's What are other fixes? Sorry. Mentor- mentorship is free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What you put into someone doesn't have to be... Monies. But but I don't think I don't think everyone's built like that. I oh, don't no. think everyone's built to mentor. Or anyone everyone wants to mentor. I think some people just want to have a restaurant and that's make it money. and make money and and that might just be wrong in and of itself. But it's legal, but it's unethical. Yeah, you know, and I think a lot of the restaurants out there are like that, and that's why I dog so much fast food all the time. It's because they're exactly that problem. They're there to get their employees and pay them bare minimum while making profits. They're not there to help them with their drug abuse problems, their mental problems, none of that stuff. But Taco Bell has a, advocate for Taco Bell, has a <laughs> program where you can get a higher education there. Yeah. Like they help, they give you scholarships yeah. if you're a high school student, the, the Taco Bell scholarship to get in higher education and go to college or a trade school, they help you with that. And I think, um, you, know, I, you know, learning from that is important, but like, the big golden arches, like I don't know what they do. They actually the same thing. I, heard, I, heard, I read a story the other day of a lady getting her PhD from working at McDonald's mm-hmm. because they pay for their college. But that's, those stories are too rare in between yeah, yeah, yeah. for me. Like it's a great way to sell yourself when you say that stuff out loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you look at their the hundred percent of their population and their employees and what they're doing and for the them, turnover. right? You're not really helping out a lot of people. Yeah, right. So, so what is the fix for the everyday? 
restaurant here Man, in Fort Worth. The everyday one is you have to want to fix it because I know owners that are okay with that because that is their crutch. That's their vice. That's the whole reason they opened up was to have a little little party scene of their own somewhere safe to go to. So if you do want to fix that, the first thing would be is to just talk to your employees about it. you got to open your eyes and address the situation. Yeah. Even if someone has a drug problem, don't call them out. Don't make them feel like they're uh, you're victifying them. Just talk about it. But hey, man, like I noticed you started using. Just be open. And then once you bring it open and to light and not punishing that person, most people, in my opinion, are going to quit right away. The drug, not, not the job. They're going to quit the drug. But, oh, I got caught. Okay, yep, time to... Time to stop doing that and now. And that's a big eye opener of like, wow, someone really cares about me. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you don't see that with your own family and yeah. stuff. Yeah, you're right. It probably won't be the owner. But that's where the executive chef comes in. That word chef. Remember we talked about that earlier. Not being a cook anymore. Being an executive chef, you got to be that person sometimes. Like, hey, look, man, I've noticed you started using lately. Like, what can we do to fix that? Yeah. Without that, nothing's going to get fixed. Yeah, sometimes your family's too close and you need that outside opinion of, I feel safe to tell you things that I've done and I feel safe around you. And, and uh, you know what, you might judge me, but I, my mom and dad might really judge me. You know, I need so, like a safe harbor place to, you know, and that's what rehabs and stuff are for. That's that mediator. That's that person who's trained to help you uh, and get to that point and realistically set your goals and, and uh, get you there. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you guys have any um, any last thoughts here before we, we start to wrap it up? Anything we missed, Edward? I know you had uh, quite a bit of notes as well. No, we talked about you know how we have three controlled substances in the kitchen that help lead to the drug abuse. So um, it's more likely than any other industry for drugs. So when it does happen, don't be surprised. No, don't be shocked by it. And don't be embarrassed. Just be upfront with the problem and address the problem with the people. And... That's really about it, yeah. It's a hard subject to talk about, but you could potentially be saving someone's life next to you. You know, like, you see him spiraling down, just be there for him. Reach out that hand, and and you might be the, the light at the end of the tunnel. You might be that voice that helps him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because getting that DWI isn't going to help him, but having someone sit down and talk to him, that's what's going to change somebody. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's all great points. Um, really great job today and great job the last six weeks. Uh, this will pretty much wrap up our, our series here. Um, so thank you guys for, for coming on the last six weeks. Woo! Yeah, you just applaud yourselves. Um, but, uh, I was applauding you, but okay. Oh, thank you. I was applauding you. I knew who Maddie was applauding for sure. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I hope it's been fun for you guys. I, I know our listeners have for sure enjoyed it, so I'm sure we'll – We'll get this crew back together and and do another episode in the future. But um, to everyone listening, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, We will be back in a couple of weeks with uh, some more interviews. So we'll we'll get back on on the interview train. Um, I've got a uh, vegan corn dog um, vendor that's going to be coming on. So it'll be an interesting interview. I'm I'm excited for that one. what did you say? I want samples. Yeah, we'll we'll have them bring them by the school. So, uh, but yeah, thank you so much for listening, and, and we'll be back pretty soon. That episode was brought to you by the Culinary School of Fort Worth. Located on Camp Bowie Boulevard, the Culinary School of Fort Worth is helping future chefs pursue their dreams every single day. You can reach out for more information or to schedule a tour on their website at csftw.edu. Or you can reach them by phone at 817-737-8427. That's 817-737-8427. You can also check them out on social media to see what's going on daily at the school at Culinary School of Fort Worth on Facebook and Culinary School FTW on Instagram.